Welcome back to Second Helping, uh, the top podcast of choice of fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, that league, of course, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, joined as always by my best friend, my great friend, Brent Beer, does an outstanding job, has for many, several decades now as a college football analyst. Brent, also a voter in the race for the top individual award in all of collegiate athletics, that award the Heisman Trophy. Brent, how are you doing on this gorgeous June the 7th? Well, I'm doing well, but it's good to be back uh, uh, with you. Um, we, we had a, uh, 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 listen, technology can be a wonderful thing, but it, but at times it, it can be your enemy. Uh, on Sunday night on First Coast News, uh, we did a uh, review uh, of the SEC meetings in Destin. So, uh, the show comes on at 1130. It's called Sports Final. And to make this brief, uh, we did it by Zoom. Well, Zoom uh, is a wonderful thing, but we started uh, with me on Zoom at 11, and we started the report about 1140. And as as you are, you probably already picked up on this. Well, Trev, in the middle of my report, and this is live, Zoom gave out. Uh, and Zoom knocked me off. Now, fortunately, Chris Porter was able to get me back home toward the uh, toward the end. Uh, but and you know, it ended up working out fine. Uh, but I'm sure as as Pops tells you, uh, that technology is good. It's bad, right? Well, you know, Zoom even has to take some time off on a Sunday night. <laughs> so that was probably just a little thirty probably. minute to an hour. <laughs> maintenance window zoom figures there's nothing major going on yeah. at 11 30 or 11 45 eastern on a sunday night we can uh we can take care of a few things a couple of bugs maybe they were yeah. trying to work out but right. always enjoy talking with brent here on second helping a lot to get into on the program today we previewed the sec spring meetings last time we met here on the podcast brent we anticipated perhaps a steel cage match featuring Jimbo <laughs> Fisher, Fisher and Nick Saban. That, of course, did not take place because the commissioner yes. of the SEC, or maybe these days the WWE, mm-hmm. Greg Sankey, wasn't about to let that happen, was he? Uh, the uh, My understanding is the athletic directors, according to Heather Dennett, were deeply embarrassed uh, because of what happened. So I think probably... Uh, the coaches heard it from all sides. Uh, and, and again, uh, Trav, it's that old thing. Uh, you don't get dirt on the shield. As they say, if the NFL also applies to the SEC. So that was nipped in the bud. And, and look, you and I both know, Trav, there were, there were media guys who got a credential thinking that they would set up a uh, – uh, a, a tent and a boxing ring somewhere just to see the, what the fisticuffs would be. But, yes, the uh, uh, the league put it uh, to bed very quickly. And, Travis, as you said last time that we talked about this, the official word was from both coaches, we've moved on. Yeah, Bill Belichick, we're on to Cleveland. You know, kind of <laughs> took that approach. But, In terms of the other pressing items uh, there on the Gulf Coast over that extended stretch, seemed like, at least, the SEC went into those meetings from a football perspective, first and foremost, and came out of them in kind of the same 
situation, well, right? Still some things pending, I guess, from that see, perspective. See, the, the, uh, the, some of the problem with this was there were several articles that came out Sunday, Monday, Tuesday morning that said this may be the most pivotal meetings in Destin there's ever been. Now, you've been there, and you, you kind of know what the uh, how this works, but even though they've got all the uh, the 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 power players there, ADs, presidents, coaches, etc. They were still really able to only get uh, a lot of discussion, as Greg Sankey said, uh, and uh, certainly left a lot on the table. Uh, but again, uh, really nothing with name, image, and likeness. They talked about it a lot. Talked about the transfer portal a lot. But Trav, spent an inordinate amount of time, and I get this, on scheduling. Do we go to eight? Do we go to nine? What process do we use? So, uh, I, frankly, uh, I think scheduling kind of took over as being the, uh, the, the topic of the week uh, by Thursday and Friday morning. Did a format seem to emerge from that perspective? Brent, as we went through the week, it sounds as if the three permanent opponents yes. that we talked about the last time here on the podcast with the rotation of the rest of the league on an annual basis gained some traction there in Destin. I think it did, but it, but it's, they're still divided. Uh, and, and Trav, it's basically if you split the league in half from what I've gathered from talking to people and, and reading the reports is the upper echelon of the league wants to go to nine uh, and the bottom half of the league, uh, the middle of the bottom, they want to stay with eight because they know if they go to nine, that's probably just another loss for them. And, and look, here's another interesting thing about this. When the league made the new deal with ESPN, it was basically for eight games. Now, Trev, I know contracts are meant to be tore up and redone, but uh, part of the issue was this, was a money issue was, okay, if we go to nine, uh, can we get that additional value from ESPN, even though we've signed a deal for eight conference games right now? So uh, a lot of tentacles with this one, isn't it? Yeah, we had talked about that. I mean, it was essentially going to go back to money and essentially television dollars. Uh, but at the same time, I think it helps programs, and there are plenty in the SEC these days that are having trouble selling tickets. Absolutely. Right? Um, so it could kill a couple of those birds from a revenue perspective with one mighty stone. But the three permanent opponents certainly makes the most sense, especially since you're bringing in Texas and Oklahoma why would you bring in Texas if you're not going to have the Longhorns and Aggies That's right. resume their rivalry? You certainly want Texas and OU to keep their brand uh, of a of a rivalry going as well. And you, know, you look around the league, um, you know Alabama, Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn. Uh, Alabama is an interesting factor in all this with the three permanent because you wonder who that third team might be. I would think oh, it yeah. would be LSU, but man, that's a hell of a trio. It is. It um, is. If you keep those in place for the Crimson Tide, and there's some sneaky good mm -hmm. annual permanent matchups that I think I want to see moving forward. Anyway, I still want to see LSU Florida. I know that. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, and and look, another thing that was very obvious from everybody is they want badly 
to uh, ha- have a situation where uh, whoever comes into the league uh, as a freshman, by the time you you're out as a junior, that and certainly as a senior, that you play everybody in the league uh, home and home. Uh, and that's something they're not doing uh, by doing that, too. Uh, but again, uh, Trail, again, it comes back to money, doesn't it? Because the league knows that they want, at, for instance, Alabama and Gainesville more than once every 10 years. And they can get that. And, you know, the tough part in all this is trying to forecast um, you know, where the college football playoff and really the college football landscape in general yes. is, is headed, right? Yeah, well, that that's a big deal because I, I think if we, Trav, I wonder where this would what would have been and how much I don't know if easier is a word, but how much more productive that it would have been if OU and Texas were either in the conference or we knew when they were going to be in the conference, uh, and particularly as you said, when the with the expansion of the playoffs. Now they meet again uh, this month, and the Mississippi State president is heavily involved. Uh, he's kind of the president uh, um, uh, who's involved with this for the playoffs. Uh, and he said his th- their goal is to know where the playoffs are going to be as far as expansion is concerned by this time next year. So, yeah. uh, again, all those things really do come into play, don't they? Yeah, as fans and media, we love to talk about, man, keep three permanent opponents, go to nine league games, yeah, and also yeah. throw a damn good home-and-home home out of conference on top of <laughs> all that. Oh, and yeah. that sounds great, but, man, you start thinking about the potential of, let's say, let's say Arkansas, whose schedule on an annual basis already seems to be insane and yes. no different coming up for 2022 and Sam Pittman's team. But, you know, with OU and Texas coming to the league, you know you're going to want Arkansas to play Texas on an annual basis. So, conversely, you're saying to Texas, okay, you're going to play OU, A&M, and Arkansas before you play six rotating opponents. And then, oh, by the way, mix in a, you know, attractive non-con to go along with the rest of your schedule. So, uh, it sounds good to us, but if I'm a coach, I'm wondering – you know, how the hell am I supposed to Absolutely. make a college football playoff yeah. Yeah. Uh, with one loss, maybe two, with this kind of schedule? I don't care who you are, and even reflective probably in coaches' contracts going forward, right? Whereas yeah. eight, nine, ten wins used to be the magic number for bonuses, maybe it becomes more, hey, you win six or seven in this league with this kind of schedule, we're going to reward you like we used to. Seven wins, I'm saying – is going to be the new nine wins for a lot of teams, I think. Probably. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, obviously, Arkansas, in a very smart move, uh, re-upped Sam Pittman. So for seven wins, he gets an extra 250000 But But look to your point. Hey, Trav, to your point, uh, Arkansas this year, they begin with Cincinnati. 
they go to BYU. Yeah. So, so, so li- listen, with, with OU and Texas coming in, let's say it's five years from now and the Arkansas AD gets a call and say, uh, from, from Southern Cal and says, uh, uh, listen, just want to know if you might be interested in a home and home, uh, in, 2027, Trev, does, uh, do, do they do they think long and hard before they ink that contract now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're Sam Pittman, absolutely seven wins at a place like Arkansas with you know Texas likely coming on as a permanent opponent for the Razorbacks with the history of those two uh, going back to the Southwest Conference. Uh, you, you're going to probably maintain the boot, aren't you? Arkansas yeah. LSU would make oh, a absolutely. lot of sense. And then Missouri – uh, for Arkansas, if you're Arkansas, you you probably like the looks of that one, considering your other permanent opponents and then the rotational status. So absolutely, seven the new nine when it comes to wins <laughs> in the evolving Southeastern Conference in the not too distant future. You know what else it is that time of year for? List top twenty fives, oh, all conference teams, and boy. To say that Brent Beard has been like a kid in a candy store here in the last week or so would be the ultimate understatement because he's got – well, how many books you got out now? You got Lindy's and Athlon's both out now? Well, Lindy's is out national. Uh, we don't okay. have Lin, we don't have Lindy's SEC out right now, which is required purchasing for everyone <laughs> listening to the podcast. Uh, now, Athlon basically is out any day. Uh, so now, to his credit – and he, if anyone is consistent in this world, that's Phil Steele. He he stay he stays with his uh, normal uh, pattern, normal deadline. So he'll be out the end of the month uh, or the first week or two of June, July. So, uh, that, but that's what we've got right now. But he, hey, and I give Athlon credit. Even before Athlon got on the shelves, they did they did release their top twenty five just to tease folks a little bit. Yeah, and as you would expect, strong presence for the Southeastern Conference in these top twenty five. So far, we're seeing Alabama in the number one position, Georgia a top three team according to both Lindy's and Athlons. There's Texas A and M uh, in the top five as well. Moving through that list, how about Arkansas checking mm-hmm. in here in the Lindy's top 25 there in the number 13 spot? Uh, you move on and Ole Miss considered to be a top 20-ish team. Um, you know, sort of a wide variety of opinion between the two in some of these SEC clubs. Kentucky there in that 20 to 25 range. So nice presence for the league, as you would expect, especially when you consider Kentucky's emergence under Mark Stoops, similarly Sam Pittman and what he's done at Arkansas, Josh Heupel putting Tennessee right there on the cusp of top 25 status. Give me one of those teams that maybe you're not seeing in these top 25 so far where Lindy's and Athlons are concerned, Brent, that they're not top 25s in the preseason, but you could see them being in those spots come December. Could, could a Mississippi State – uh, uh, and particularly 
if that defense continues to play well, and again, their schedule is not nothing easy either, uh, I think that might be a prime candidate for uh, – and, and see, uh, Trav, State's one of these teams, we've got two or three of them in the league. They really don't know where to put them right now. Uh, do, you, do you put them in that, uh, in that upper echelon of the West? Uh, they're second to the bottom uh, in the West. And you've got a little bit of this with Auburn in that, what if Auburn finds a quarterback – and some of these transfers come through. Their pick last right now. Could that get better? That that that's a thing that makes this year maybe a little bit more intriguing than uh, than it has been. And you and can't you say the same thing, Travis, with LSU and, and what Brian Kelly could do in his first year? Yeah, I've said it in the last couple of weeks and written it too. I think Brian Kelly is inheriting a more talented roster at LSU and helping to reassemble a roster at LSU via the transfer portal than he had probably with any of his teams. Probably. Top to bottom, just top 50 guys or so. Um, You know, Notre Dame could put 20 to 30 guys up there Mm -hmm. with the top teams in the country. It was from about 28 through 50 where the Irish would eventually be exposed in most instances. So yeah, I could see that. I think the East will have a say in that as well, as far as potential postseason top 25 teams, so many wild cards over there with Kentucky, Tennessee, Florida, hell South Carolina with the changes there. Spencer Rattler coming in at the quarterback position, Missouri, you know, I think any of those three or four teams uh, could factor into that thing late. Mississippi State on paper, you look at that team and with Will Rogers back at quarterback, uh, the running back situation is healthy. Those guys are going to catch a lot of balls in that Mike Leach offense. Uh, wide receiver in pretty good shape, although they did have a in-state transfer defection of note at the wide receiver spot. But you know, defensively, you got to replace a really good corner in Martin Emerson. But you know, I think Emmanuel Forbes might be one of the top two or three corners in the SEC coming back Absolutely. for state. So. Yeah, you can see some things with State potentially on paper. I like LSU to be more of that kind of team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just really odd to look at these top 25s right now and and not see LSU. So the Tigers would be my pick, and a lot of that based on, again, a roster. I know I said it last year, and it didn't prove true, but I look at the roster for LSU, and I think that team has a great shot to be in the top 25 come December. Well, look, I, I think they had the roster trail. The problem was dysfunction. That, yeah. that it was dysfunction and injuries, and they transferred out. Mm. And and I'm curious if you're beginning to hear what I'm hearing too. And, and all of this is because where we live uh, in Northeast Florida, but at church, at the gym, at places like that. Uh, uh, you mean uh, you mean Florida is picked to be fourth in the East, and this and this Utah team is in the top ten. Yeah. So uh, I think, uh, and that's think, your opener. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and then I don't think they know yet, Trav. They play Kentucky afterwards. Yeah, and you know you think too in terms of early season games, uh, Georgia and Oregon. You know, with Oregon showing up sure. in the top 12 to 15 teams in these preseason rankings and the intrigue there, Dan Lanning's first season, especially at the quarterback position, is it Bo Nix, the Auburn transfer that once again takes a shot at the Georgia Bulldogs mm-hmm. in the upcoming season opener. And 
Um, you know, I think for Alabama too, you consider the matchup with Texas in week two, as much as it's going to be celebrated and anticipated as it should be. And you're talking about two of the, the best helmets in college football history together right. on the same field on campus, no less, which in that series hasn't happened in 100 years. You have to go back to 1922. The last time Alabama and Texas met right. on campus. So, um, not seeing Texas really, uh, maybe on the cusp in the Lindy's top 25, but, uh, big season coming up for Steve Sarkeesian, a lot of defining games, the point here in terms of looking at these preseason top 25s and boy, Utah, Florida going to be at the top of that list. Uh, look, I'm, uh, and, and I may change my mind as it gets closer, Travis, right now, uh, if my life depended on it, as they say, I would frankly bet on Utah. Uh, I think they've got the more experienced roster. They've still got a lot of that. They're still deep. Now, heat and humidity probably would come into effect. It's a night game, so that's fortunate for the fans. Uh, but at the same time, says says a whole lot about Utah, but it also says a whole lot about what Dan Mullen left and, and just what Billy Napier's got on his plate having to deal with. We also have some early all-SEC teams out there, Brent, including one here in the last day or so. Uh, the um, uh, as far Athlons. As, Athlon coming out. Uh, in, what was it, 18 Alabama players? Uh, I yeah, believe. I mean, <laughs> it, it isn't a matter of which Alabama players made yeah. the team. You're starting to wonder, well, damn, which ones didn't? Because (laughs) even when you look at the first team, Bryce Young is the quarterback, as you would expect. Jameer Gibbs, the Georgia Tech transfer, as the all-purpose back. Um, Emil Echior, uh, the offensive guard, also on that first team offense. And you get into the defense. Here's what I like about Athlon's first team preseason All-SEC defense, by the way. Not one, but two Byron Youngs on this defense. (laughs) Both defensive linemen. Byron Young of Alabama. Byron Young of Tennessee, Will Anderson, of course, on that list as well. Henry Toa Toa, um, Jordan Battle at the safety position. And, you know, then you get into the second team and it's just more Alabama. But I could ask you a similar question about some of these all SEC teams and, you know, talk about players individually and maybe a guy or two that you're not seeing as much on these preseason teams that you could kind of expect to see maybe once we get to the end of the season or maybe guys that need to be those type of players for some of these teams. And let me also, one of the things that really points out to me like a neon sign is on that first team defense and all this stuff about, look, George is not going to have any defenses here. They're going to really take a step back. Well, Trev, they've got Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, and Keely Ringo on there mm-hmm. uh, on, on that on that first team, and then you got uh, uh, the um, uh, they got dudes at every level. Chris Smith is also on there. So, I mean, the point is, you've got what at least four or five guys on that uh, on that depth chart for George's defense. I think Kirby will be okay, don't you? Yeah, I think Kirby's going to be just fine. Yeah, and when you think about some guys that, again, maybe we're not seeing on this list, and you know, some of that, unfortunately, has to do with where you play. I think that yeah. Vanderbilt has a couple of inside linebackers that are worthy of mention, at least, and Anthony Orgy and also Ethan Barr, a couple of guys that combined to produce 178 total tackles a season ago. Again, 
it's tough when you're at Vanderbilt. So we're going to give the Commodores some rare love here on the podcast, give you some Anthony Orgy, who had 93 tackles a season ago, 13 for loss, uh, and then his running mate, Barr, uh, who had three interceptions from the middle linebacker position a year ago. Just a couple guys to to keep in mind. Anything else, Brent, before we get out of here? Well, uh, I, uh, there's always a uh, uh, a note or two uh, to hit real quick. Uh, Arkansas, like a lot of teams, you get some of these guys that take their name out of the transfer portal uh, and they decide that they're coming back uh, at, at this point, too. Dorian Gerald on that defensive line is one of those guys that he'll, he will certainly help them as far as their uh, depth uh, is concerned. Uh, Travis Florida has got a, in the 2022 class, a new signee Juco kid. And there's no way I can pronounce his second name or the middle name, but it's Ty Bowman. Uh, I can get that. 62190. I, I thought that was an interesting pickup uh, for them, uh, too. Uh, so, so, you know, I mean, there's always. And there's always stuff that's happening, such as Rico Powers. Uh, he was a South Carolina transfer. He is committed to uh, Jackson State uh, at this point, too. By the way, Matt Hayes, our our uh, local colleague here, picking Tennessee to upset either Alabama or Georgia. Uh, one in Nayland in Alabama, uh, Georgia. Uh, would be on the road. I'm not sure I'm ready to go that far. I think that's kind of what the preseason is, is to throw a few of these things in there. And by the way, speaking of Arkansas, this is quite a note, and I give Sierra Clark credit for this. The Hogs, the only team to make it to the Super Regionals in baseball and softball, win their bowl game in football, and make the NCAA tournament in men's and women's basketball. Uh, you know, do they do they get the credit there that, no. uh, for an all-around sports team that they are? No, they don't. Uh, they're kind of the Florida of the West, I yeah. would say, in the SEC. That's before track and field is True. even taken into account. But, you know, the Tennessee picks, I think there's going to be more of those. That was a fun team to watch last yep, year. It was. Return a lot of firepower on the offensive side. Got to figure out, I guess – a little bit on that offensive line, but with Jabari Small, Hendon Hooker, Cedric Tillman. Um, yeah, I mean, should be a fun offense once again under Josh Heupel. Need to figure some things out on defense. Secondary, you lost a couple of key pieces. Jeremy Banks back at the inside linebacker position. That certainly helps. We talked about Byron Young up front on that defensive line. You know, when I look at Tennessee prospects for an upset of either Alabama or Georgia, um, boy, I, I think the Wildcats in the preceding weeks before both those games going to have their hands full. You know, Tennessee goes mm-hmm. to LSU on October the 8th before hosting Alabama on uh, October the 15th. Alabama, likewise, coming off Texas A&M and the road trip to Fayetteville Damn. on October 1st. So a huge stretch for Alabama right through there. Um, you know, as for the Georgia matchup with Tennessee, uh, Kentucky in Knoxville. I mean, we can talk about yes. a lot of things. Yes. Um, that's one of those games that Josh Heupel uh, needs to continue to, to show progress in, in, in yeah. that rivalry. And, and I think the Florida matchup is huge for Tennessee um, in late September as well. But a lot of fun, no doubt, speculating on those type of topics 
uh, at this point in the summer months. Let me say this uh, as far as the final note here. Uh, and this came out on Monday. 71% of the uh, Division I scholarship players who, who entered the transfer portal since uh, August 1 of last year have found a new home. That's not bad, but Trav, the bad news, and we've talked about this really for the entire year, there, there are still 571 Division I players that remain in the transfer portal as of June 6th. How about that? So some big numbers and some discouraging numbers when you yes. consider that yes. all too many of these young people have basically announced their football retirements in some form or fashion by diving headlong into the transfer portal. As we get out of here too, Brent, need to recognize it is the summer of Arch on the recruiting front. Arch <laughs> Manning, the five-star quarterback, yes. taking those official visits, was in Athens last weekend. Looked like he had a good time. I mean, how the heck do you not have a good time in Athens, first <laughs> really? and foremost? And you're oh, the yes. top recruit for the 2023 sure. cycle. I'm thinking you're going to have a good time in Athens with uh, a visit to the reigning national champions. And then – Alabama, interestingly enough, expected to be next up this weekend. The Crimson Tide, of course, recently picked up a commitment from a four-star quarterback from the state of Louisiana in Eli Holstein. So we'll continue to track uh, the legacy of legacies, Arch Manning. I still wonder if he is just going to me, and I've heard a little bit about this. This is not uh, uh, inside information necessarily, but that they have a real respect for, for Billy Napier, the family. And look, now, this is this is not just um, uh, maybe the dad or the mom, mom and dad interested. You've got the whole family involved in this. This is a Manning decision. Uh, so uh, they have a lot of respect for Napier. And I wonder, may, I don't think he's going to Florida Trav, but I think they may make uh, – a visit probably makes another one with uh, with Texas. If Trev, if you're Arch, uh, do you want to get this decision out of the way before your final season? You know, I don't know if it's imminent. And uh, just true too. I think there's five official visits th- this guy can take. Yeah, and we yeah. know Texas, oh, yeah. we know Georgia, we know Alabama. Well, that's three, mm-hmm. and it could be. I'm just kind of connecting some dots here on my own. It could be that Arch and his family do have in mind a team or two right now that stand out from the crowd. Okay, And a lot of assumptions have been made that those two teams right now would sensibly be Texas and Georgia. Mm -hmm. Well, if I'm the Manning family, if I'm Arch Manning, first and foremost, I want to see what kind of start Texas gets off to the season. Because if a big part of my interest is linked to Steve Sarkeesian, Yes. Um, if we're being real here, Sark needs to get off to a good start to the sea. I know it's year two, and I know Alabama's coming to town week two, and there'll be some grace given, I think, in, in terms of that game. But there are games like UTSA where yes. Sark can't afford to fall on his face no, no, no. in those type of games early on in year two. So if I'm the Mannings, I want to see how that goes. Yes. I want to see how Quinn Ewers looks at the quarterback position mm-hmm. in that offense. And then – you know, as the early stages of the season play out, I still got a couple official visits in my back pocket. If that relationship 
with Billy Napier and we see the Gators get off to an encouraging start Mm -hmm. in his tenure, I got that one in my back pocket. I got one maybe even for LSU or somewhere like that if I end up wanting to use it. If I check out, if I wait and I'm patient and I see how some of these tenures uh, under first and second year head coaches in most instances play out. And then if I don't like the direction of those, I've got old dependable. I got old reliable Georgia in my back pocket. Georgia Mm -hmm. probably going to hang around and wait it out. Um, So yeah, there's a lot of different scenarios to consider there. I would be surprised if the Mannings don't just sort of sit back and let some of this stuff play out into the season. Yeah. Well, and the good thing is he, he certainly has got time uh, on his hands, but, and, uh, and look, maybe it does, but uh, it, they seem to have played the recruiting game. Well, they know they, this deal. I mean, they, come they, on. They, sure they do. Sure they do. Absolutely. Um, so they know what they can deal with. They know how important it is for him to get ready uh, sure. and, and for him to do his own improvement for uh, this year. And, and look, uh, as Travis said, uh, when you've got that many visits, Travis, that could be a uh, some kind of uh, some kind of a wild card X factor that 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 comes into play that we have no idea that it might this time of year at, at this point. Yeah, in June, you kind of check out the three that you know you want to check out. And then you hold a couple of those, and you, know, you can still take unofficial visits, of course, as well. Um, but in terms of just a decision being made, I, I frankly would be surprised if, if the Mannings didn't let this stuff sort of you know, roll into the uh, roll into the season a little bit. Hey, Brent, as always, it's been a lot of fun. Always, my friend. And, and, and look, we are... Uh, what now about six weeks away well we're about to begin our countdown for media days in atlanta because that's the next big event that's coming up mile markers on the horizon we <laughs> love them for brent beard travis ryer thanking you once again for joining us here on second helping if you haven't subscribed already to the podcast you can do that wherever you consume pods it's second helping for brent beard executive producer bill oakley travis ryer Hoping you have a great rest of your week, and until next time, so long, everybody.